expecting his new baby Zeke. All is well there. So Bryson, Brooke, Zeke, Charlie, welcome back. Um, also today we have Silas Banks with us because this is Silas's first Sunday with us. So I don't have yet Zeke's, but we give every wait. Beth has it. So y'all welcome Silas and Zeke, two of the new babies. Uh, Joe, will you take this back there? No to Joe. All right. If you are a first-time visitor, we welcome you. We are blessed to have you. Um, announcements uh, this evening, there will be choir at 5, but that's the only service or activity for the evening, so just make note of that. Um, on the Welcome Center table, there's the February Fantastic sign-up for children. If you're interested or have any questions, please see Bryson about that. Um, there is a warming center that's going to open up in Franklin at First Baptist Church Franklin because of the cold that's expected this week. We're going to try for the first time to have this. So I already have volunteers for food for Monday night. Uh, we need people that are willing to stay overnight from like 7.30 to 7.30. Uh, but I will keep texting reminders to some of the groups that I'm already putting that out there to about how that's going and what the needs are and how you can be helpful. So just pray and put in your heart and mind uh, how we can assist the Heard County community in, uh, in having a warming center. One of the things we're going to do is put the need out there. We're not sure that there's a need for it. Um, they already have one in Carrollton, and we've been helpful with that uh, for several years now. But we want to do that in Franklin, partly just to see you know, what, what the need is uh, there. Hey, we want to welcome two special guests all the way from South Korea. Um, June is a pastor, a, a, a campus minister. June, if you'll stand up, and his daughter Faith. Um, Bill and Tracy are hosting them from several weeks. We hope to have them sing in one of our worship services or teach uh, in some of our Bible studies. So just keep uh, praying for June and Faith, and uh, they'll be here through the middle of February, and we're so blessed to have them. Hey, I've also put on the welcome table, we're doing something a little different. We're going to update our prayer request list. And so I made a few copies of the, I've kind of cleaned it up and, and put some names on there. I, I made a few copies there on the desk. I want you to get those, pray over those, and let me know who needs to be either added or taken off. Right now, you get that through newsletter only, but we're going to have other ways to get that to you. Also, on that same list are sermon discussion questions for you personally or your family to use either on Sunday night or at any time during the week. Um, I'm going to try to do that weekly in light of what I teach and preach. So those are also there on the Welcome Center table. Now, I'm trying to run through my mind real quick if there were any other key announcements. Seems like, were there any other announcements, Bryson, that everything should be rolling on the screen, so every Sunday that you come, look up there, because it's going to give you and say a lot of things that I'm not saying uh, with my mouth. But again, welcome to our new 
uh, additions, those, those two baby boys. Joe Bledsoe is going to come now and read a passage of scripture that relates to the sermon and then lead us in prayer, and that will begin our time of worship. Thank you so much. Good morning. This is from Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that thou, the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcome cometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the many blessings we have. Most of all, Father, the opportunity we have to hear your word and come to him. And Father, and most of all, just give us the strength that we need that we will not be cold nor hot and that we'll come to you. And Father, just bless the pastor this morning as he speaks your word. In Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand this morning, we're going to begin worship with singing majesty.
continue worshiping with higher ground. Thank you. 
Stan, we're going to worship together again before our sermon. I have to admit, I miss choir, but I've really, really enjoyed specials the past few weeks. We've got so much talent in our church, and we're really blessed. We're going to sing Come Thou Fount together.
Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much just for allowing us to fill your house this morning, God, with brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, thank you for giving us a place that we can worship freely, God, um, and thank you for songs that we can sing to just praise and worship, God. Lord, um, as we are still starting a new year and about to start a new series, God, Lord, um, I just pray what we've sang this morning, God, that you will set our feet to higher ground, and Lord, that when we're prone to wonder, um, you'll take our hearts and seal it for your courts above, God. And Lord, the beautiful words that Sarah Beth just sang over us, God, as, as a prayer almost this morning, God, that Lord, if we need to be crushed and pressed, God, Lord, may you do that to make new wine out of us, God, that can better serve you and honor you and worship you and lead others to you, Christ, God. Lord, um, I love the line of that psalm that says, where there's new wine, there's new power, God. And Lord, we pray that there will be a new power and just a revival amongst our um, body of believers and that you will have your way, God. Lord, be with us as we open your word. May it speak clearly to us and be with our workers in the nursery and in children's church that they'll speak clearly to our kids as well, God. Lord, we just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At this time, children that are ages three through second grade can go to Children's Church with Miss Terry. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, in light of Sarah Beth's song, uh, Catherine's prayer, turn to John chapter 2 in John's Gospel. One of the most incredible things about John's Gospel is how he weaves into his good news uh, seven signs that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God and is worthy of our worship, worthy of our discipleship, and worthy of our faith and our trust. So, uh, turn to John chapter 1. I'm going to read the last two verses of John 1. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to turn all the way back, using our hands and our eyes, to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, so that we'll know the purpose of the signs. The purpose of the signs. Now, to get off to a good start in the sermon and in life, you've got to pay attention to the signs, especially the first sign. Uh, this past Christmas season, my family and I were traveling to Auburn where there were, yes, that's enemy territory, to where we have a family Christmas gathering with some of Tracy's relatives every Christmas season on Christmas Day. But traveling down 85 toward Auburn, I, I the driver, made a mistake. I missed the first Auburn sign and kept on going. And the further we went, the further away we, we became. Uh, and so when we finally got to the Christmas gathering, you know what I heard. Where were you guys? Where y'all been? You know, they were already kind of uh, rubbing it in. It's crucial in your journey through life to catch all the signs so that you will know the way to go. And in John's gospel, this is, in John chapter 2, the first sign, okay? So we're going to say a lot in this sermon and in the sermons to come about those seven signs, how we must pay attention to them, 
Uh, we must learn from them. We must understand the deeper realities to which they point. But the ultimate goal is to believe in Jesus and to follow Jesus and to get right our own faith journey. So I want to wrap it, though. This is such a rich passage around this particular miracle, his first miracle. But I want to begin with what goes before it in at the end of John chapter 1. So, so John introduces his gospel with that wonderful prologue. We preached that back during Advent, where Jesus is the Word who has become flesh and dwelling among us. We beheld his glory. He is the exegesis of the Father. He explains and shows who God the Father is. And then John's gospel begins to open that up. And then later in John chapter 1, for example, in verse 29, you have this little phrase, the next day. The next day. All right, then in verse 35, if you're walking with me through John 1, again, the next day. And then in verse 43, you have it again, the next day. And then there's this interaction with Nathaniel. As John opens up this week-long revelation of who Jesus is beginning to reveal himself to be, as he begins his public ministry there in chapter 2, in verse 50 of John 1, Jesus answered and says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel believes in Jesus. Nathaniel confesses that Jesus is the Son of God just because Jesus saw him under the fig tree. And then Jesus says something in verse 50. Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You shall see greater things than these. In other words, Jesus says, you you ain't seen nothing yet. The incredible thing is that Nathanael already has faith. And then Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens opened, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I really believe with what John does with the rest of the gospel is heaven is opened up and we see the glory and the power and the beauty of God From this portal, Jesus is is proclaiming that he is the fulfillment of Jacob's ladder. Remember angels ascending and descending? Jacob saw this vision of heaven open and this glorious spiritual supernatural power and beauty and activity. Jesus is saying that that in his life and his ministry, you're going to see heaven opened up. And beautiful, wonderful, angelic things happening. Lord, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, you begin to see the first miraculous sign. So in chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day. On the third day. Now, in my studies, there's debate from scholars and commentators of what day we are actually on at this point. Um, it seems to be in verse 1 that we're three days from the conversation with Nathaniel where he says, you ain't seen nothing yet, but you're going to see the glory of God in powerful ways demonstrated in the Son of Man. 
So, but we think this is the Sabbath. Or at least that's, that's, if I had to bet the farm, I think this first miracle occurs on the Sabbath, which is interesting on several levels. But just kind of hold that thought in the back of your mind as we read this and study this. So there was a wedding. It's in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. I preached last week on Mary, the mother of Jesus, how from birth, remember this? And she was pondering. She was treasuring. She was thinking deeply about everything that God had revealed to her as she became the mother of the Messiah, the King. So hold that in your your mind also because there's going to be a conversation in just a minute that's very interesting. And so the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited. And his disciples. So he's got this entourage. He's already building or, or, or drawing uh, followers. And, and Jesus and his followers, and chapter 1 tells you who these followers are. One of them could be John himself, who writes this, there's one unnamed disciple in John chapter 1 who some think might be John, the beloved disciple. So anyway, they're at this wedding. So verse 3, when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, presumably after 30 years worth of thinking and pondering about who he is and what what he can do, The wine gave out, and she says to him, they have no wine. And you're thinking, ah, now we know why Pastor Neil asked Sarah Beth to sing that song. (laughs) Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I want to pray that for us as we see what happens here in this particular setting. So there's a problem, there's a situation, they have no wine. Jesus says to her, woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. Now men, unless you are the Messiah, do not try that at home, okay? (laughs) Unless you're the Messiah, don't... Don't try that at home. I'll explain more about about this conversation in just a moment. So then his mother turns, apparently, to the servants. And then she says this, Whatever he says to you, you do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were six stone water pots, these big stone water pots, that were there for the Jewish custom of purification. So they would ceremonially purify themselves through these Jewish rituals, and that, quote-unquote, made them pure to be able to enjoy uh, any type of of gathering, a social gathering, particularly on this one. There they are, this ceremonial purification from the old Jewish uh, ritual system and ceremonial system. And these jars, six of them, contain 20 or 30 gallons each. So they're huge. They're heavy. And Jesus says to the servants, 
fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. Fill it to the rim with brim. All right? That's what they do. They fill it all the way up. And then he says to them, draw out some now. Take it to the head waiter. This is like the... I guess he's in charge of catering for this particular social event. Take it to the head waiter. They took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, he did not know where it came from. But the servants who drew the water, they knew. So let's just also add this comment. The servants of Christ always know where the good stuff comes from. Servants of Christ always know that He is the source. He is the wine. He is the newer, the better, the stronger, the purer. They knew. So then the head waiter calls the bridegroom, the groom. And he said to him, Hey, every man serves the good wine first, and then when men have drunk freely... Or become a little intoxicated, is what that word literally means. Then, that which is poor, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus always saves the best for last. Then verse 11 is very important, as all these verses are. This beginning... Of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. All right, now, I'm going to do what I said I would do. Let's turn to John chapter 20. Thirty and thirty-one of John twenty explain the whole purpose for the book and especially for the signs. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples. And the key relationship here is with the disciples. But he performed many other signs which are not written in the book, but these have been written that you that you may believe, like the disciples believed, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That believing you may have life in His name. Father, thank You for the gift of life, new life, eternal life, joyful life, better life that we find in Christ as believers and disciples. I pray that through this sign that we would understand it in a deeper and greater way, that we would place saving faith in Christ, and then that we would also pray that our hearts and our minds and our souls could be renewed day by day, that this would strengthen our faith, that it would strengthen our desire to share the gospel verbally, to share the gospel in deed, 
And just to have your glory rest upon us as we humble ourselves before you so that the light of the gospel could be seen, that Christ could be seen, and that others could see good works that we do, and that God would be glorified and that Christ would be trusted for salvation and all that it is. Help us today, Father, not to miss the importance of this first sign. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we get into this series on the seven signs, I wanted to find with definitions from my notes what a sign is because there are a lot of different ways that we think about and use the word sign. I was tempted to say Sign, sign, everywhere a sign, because they're everywhere. We live by signs that communicate, but biblically and especially in John, a sign, get this, is an attesting miracle, an attesting miracle, which points to the supernatural power of God in redeeming grace. These signs are significant. One thing I learned this week is that the first four letters of the word significant are what? Sign. Never caught that. Significant. Significant. So these signs are significant displays of power that point beyond themselves to the deeper realities that can be perceived with the eyes of faith. Don't get lost in that definition. What it means is we are to learn from these signs who Jesus is and how we are to respond to him appropriately in our faith and our discipleship so that we can enjoy and have abundant life and also be a source of that for other people. So to help us this morning, and to help me in communicating this morning, I have seven words, yes, seven, for completion, hopefully, but not total completion, to help us realize the significance and understand the significance of the first sign. Now, the word that John uses for sign doesn't just mean first, But the Greek word is arche, which means primary, which means beginning, which means if we get this one right, it's like walking through an arch where we can then grow to understand and get all the other ones right. So it means not only is this first in sequence, but this is crucial. It's like walking through a gateway into the rest of the gospel so that we'll stay with it, follow it, and though our faith may be weak, though our understanding may be slack, if we get this first one right, we'll be drawn in to be able to continue to follow and believe and trust and serve Jesus and experience the newness that God desires to do in our lives. So what are the seven words? We might as well get busy, right? Number one, celebration. This is a celebration. This is a wedding, all right? 
And I don't know about you, but most all the weddings, and I've been a part of a lot of weddings, but most all weddings are joyful celebrations. There are families, there are songs, there's food, there's days of anticipation and preparation. Uh, the, the Bible begins and ends with what? A wedding. The Bible begins with a wedding. God's idea, or let me flip that, marriage and weddings are God's idea. He ordained it. So there's a wedding at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis where God brings man and woman together. And then there's a wedding at the end of the Bible where the ultimate groom, the ultimate bridegroom, Jesus, is united with his people, the bride, the church. So those are a couple of thoughts that I want to get out of the way from the very beginning. These weddings, get this, and I'm glad we don't have this still, these weddings in biblical times could last a week or two. Imagine that, right? These Jewish marriage feasts could last as long as a week or two. And and it seems to me that Mary must have been a helper with the catering process. And that based on the context, it seems that this may have been a wedding for a, a family member or a friend of Mary and Jesus and their family. So did Mary help with the catering? I don't know, but I imagine that she would be a very good one if she did. And then as well as now, weddings could be um, really high pressure. Really high pressure. Especially for the groom and his family. A wedding reminds us that the whole Bible is about covenant promises. The whole Bible is about new beginnings. The whole Bible is about love and relationships and intimacy. And God has given us weddings and marriage and family so that we can understand the ultimate love relationship that we are called to have with him and with his son Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a celebration and the second word I want to give us is invitation. Notice in verse 2 that Jesus was invited. I heard a pastor say to a couple one time that it's always important to invite Jesus to your wedding. All right? But not only was Jesus invited, his disciples were invited. Not only was Jesus invited and his disciples were invited, but they went to the wedding. To me, those are three initial surprises. They invited Jesus, they invited his disciples, and guess what? Jesus and his disciples show up at this festival, this feast, this gathering. Jesus is not some killjoy. Jesus is not a hermit. Jesus is not packed away, hidden from society. Jesus is active. He's involved. He goes. He's not lame. (laughs) He's not dull. And we could say in this matter that Jesus truly was and is the life of the party. All right? So they were invited. 
I'm sure that Jesus in, entered into this particular setting with deep humility and gentleness and grace. Can you picture this scene, how he must have entered into this scene and entered into this, this gathering? But let's just say from the beginning that, that the fact that Jesus was invited and the fact that Jesus was there made all the difference in the world. So you and I need to get in our hearts and minds that the fact that we have the opportunity to invite Christ into our lives, the fact that Joe read the story there in Revelation where he, he what? He stands at the door and knocks. And if he comes in, he dines with us We dine with Him, and we enjoy the new wine, the joy, the hope, the love, the purity, the strength that comes from having a Savior who is available to be invited into our lives. Let's just say that I love the promise. Think of Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart He will never, ever refuse. He was invited in, and he came. Now, we're just leaving the Christmas story where there's not always room for Jesus. The innkeeper didn't have room for Jesus. Herod didn't have room for Jesus. Herod actually wanted to kill Jesus. The religious leaders didn't have room for Jesus. When they were asked where the Messiah is, or what the the Scriptures say he's in Bethlehem, they don't even go. Apathy, anger, closed off. I just wanted to stop and draw from this invite that led to the miracle because it meant God was there. God was there. The other interesting thing I'll say before I leave this particular word is that you may not have invited Jesus to your wedding, but Jesus has invited all of us to his. Isn't that good news? That you may have hated him, you may have shunned him, you may have kept him out, but he has invited us to The ultimate wedding. The whole Bible ends with this invitation. Blessed is he who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The whole Bible ends with an invitation from God to come. To come and drink of the water of life. To come and eat of the tree of life. God inviting us. But then John, the writer of this gospel, at the end of Revelation says, Come Lord Jesus. So the Bible has these double invitations everywhere. He is inviting us, and we are inviting Him. He is inviting us, and we are inviting Him. Word number three. So first there is celebration, then there's this invitation. Now let's say there is a situation. I get the image at first of all these guys, these, and this is a, would be a high-techno large wedding where 
one of the servants says to the head caterer, hey, uh, oh, we got a situation over here. <laughs> uh, I think somebody better check on this. Uh, we're, we've run out of wine. It's like at my house when I open up the refrigerator and I say, oh, we got a situation here. We are out of coffee, mate. <laughs> somebody make a run to the store. But on this particular level, to run out of wine at a social setting with with this kind of stakes would have been an embarrassment, a total embarrassment for the groom and for his family. Something I read said that it might even have legal ramifications, but I didn't go too far down that particular road. But what I do want to say is we've got a serious situation on our hands. They're they're out of wine. And all these guests came that that was part of That was part of the responsibility. That was part of the equation. Uh, What are we going to do about it? Now, I want to pause and say that weddings in general are high-pressure situations. Man, as I planned this this week, I thought of several huge mistakes I've made at weddings that that were embarrassing. I forgot a unity candle one time in the middle of a service, and I still haven't lived it down. Like, I'm still afraid to mention it. It was so embarrassing that I would leave out such a crucial component of a service that meant so much to these people and their families. I was at another wedding recently, and the the sound system people were, were about an hour late. And so the musicians and the singer, they, they couldn't prepare and... And these wedding coordinators and wedding directors, uh, they, they, had, they had some conversations later about why uh, at such a serious moment w- did, were, were you not together? So we've got a situation on our hands. So Mary, as I said, treasuring and pondering, seems to say to herself, I wonder if this is time for Jesus to show who he is. I wonder if this is time for Jesus to solve this human anxious, social pressure, societal obligation situation. There's a situation. Where do we go? Who do we turn to? Who can handle this? So then let's look at the next word, already on number four, conversation. This interaction between Jesus and his mother is so important. In verse four, Jesus says to her, woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. Now, I'm about to give you the Neil International version of my interpretation of that statement. You ready? Whoa, ma'am. Whoa, ma'am. What does this have to do with me? Literally, it is a Hebrew idiom. What to me and to you? I want to say something like this. Uh, Mom... You know I've got bigger fish to fry than this, right? 
I'm not a handyman, all right? I'm the boss of the universe. I'm not here primarily to run around and fix all these social problems and all these little things that haven't gone right in in the world. My, My hour has not yet come. And this is John's first use of this phrase, the hour. What is the ultimate purpose for which he has come? He has come to die. He has come to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's come to be our atonement. He's come to be the propitiation. He has come to to, to deal with much bigger problems than the fact that the pastor uh, left out the unity candle or the music people might be a little late or the wine has run out or whatever lower level stress we may be facing in all our particular issues. He has come to deal with what matters most. And his hour, which is yet to be, he is going to take care of that fully and completely. Fully and completely and sufficiently. So in the conversation, there's some theological pushback, okay? To remind his mother of some parameters. To remind his mother of what this is all about about is Jesus being rude is he being a little of a bully absolutely not he is giving a momentary theological correction so that all of us will understand including her why this is happening what is this why he came in the first place to reveal the father and His glory, and His grace, and to deal with the ultimate problem of sin and death and the need of forgiveness. So stay with for a minute this conversation. He will not cater to nor bow to family pressure, societal pressure, or situational pressure. He came to do the Father's will. That's what the hour is about. That's what his hour is about. She might would say, not like Vader to Luke, uh, I am your father. (laughs) She might would say, but Jesus, I'm your mother. He might would say in return, but Mary, I'm your creator and Lord and Savior. You get the shift there? Because I think based on what she says next, that she gets the shift. Okay? Uh, in this conversation, though, I want to make, I wanna make a, a point here about discipleship. So if, if you're still with me, all right? In this conversation, I want you to note, and I want you to work out, the shift in verse 5 that his mother makes, okay? Because in this shift, uh, in in chapter 2, verse 3, she approaches Jesus as his mother. But in verse 5, she approaches Jesus as a believer, and her faith is honored. Look at verse 5. Let's spend just a moment on verse 5. When he pushes back with this theological 
enlightenment, for lack of a better word at the moment. She then says to the servants, whatever he says to you, you do it. To the servants, the diakonos, the deacons, the table waiters. The first word is whatever. Whatever is a really good word. In fact, I saw something on social media where it was asked, okay, what is your favorite word to use to close out an argument? First response, whatever. <laughs> oh, whatever, right? Archie Bunker made that word famous. Whatever. She's not using that type of whatever. But she is resting her case. Whatever is a word of total surrender. Whatever is a word with no conditions. Whatever is a word without any terms or conditions. Whatever means whatever. Whatever is totally surrendered to the sovereignty and the will of God. Thy will be done is a whatever. And she's at that point. Then let's look at the next phrase, whatever he says. It's important for us, too, to come to the point of whatever. And then to come to the next point, which is whatever he says. Which leads me to know him and what he says and what his word is and what his will is. Whatever he says... To do, you do it. Whatever he says, you do it. We don't just hear what he says, but, but the ultimate point of a sign is to act, to do. We don't just want information. We don't just want insight. Our ultimate goal is obedience. Whatever he says to you to do, you do it. Now, as I went through this, I thought to myself, this is knowing and doing the will of God in a nutshell. This is discipleship in a nutshell. That you and I would be servants who say whatever he says to us to do, we do it. She closes out this conversation after being pushed back with a theological reproach she turns and she says, you know what? He's right. I will hush. I'll leave it in his hands. It's totally cast on his will, his mercy, his desire. I'm done. Whatever he says to do, you do it. To you and me, whatever he says to do, you do it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no, I know what the Bible says, but, or, but Lord. I, I could go on and on down another tangent, and I'm going to stop here. But I just felt like, and, and let me just be honest, every wedding ceremony I've ever done, I've included the, the, the marriage at Cana, the wedding at Cana, in my actual ceremony. And the advice that I give to couples right here for marriage is this. Whatever he says to you, you do it. If each of you will do that, 
then you're on the road to having new wine, life, hope, joy, purity, peace, all that that symbolizes in your particular relationship. But it's not just for weddings and marriage. This is for everyday life, for everyday people. This is an everyday gospel, and he's an everyday Lord. Whatever he says to do, we're his servants. Let's do it. Let's practice it. All right? Where are we? Number five. I'll be quicker on these. Next word is participation. The servants... Lo and behold, they start doing what he says. They've got these big pots to fill up. They've got a lot to do in this moment. Because remember, this is a situation. And so she said to do whatever he says to do, let's do it. They don't know the outcome yet. They don't know why they're lifting and pouring and tugging and running. but, But they are participating. God can do whatever he wants to do, but almost always he involves us and our participation and our activities and our obedience. We are his body. We are his hands and feet. I love that phrase where it says, working together with him. When we announce stuff at church, by the way, we announce filling up a lot of stuff. Hey, we all fill these backpacks. We all fill these shoeboxes. Downstairs every Tuesday, there's a lot of bread filled in bags. A lot of hands-on servant participation. That, that took place here. And God used that in an amazing way. Participation. And then the next word is an easy one, transformation. Look at what happens when people obey and participate. There is a transformation. We don't know exactly when, but Jesus turned this ordinary water into wine. Something ordinary becomes something amazing in a supernatural moment, in a redemptive moment, in a powerful moment. In the command was the powerful enabling. It was supernatural. I heard one pastor say one time that the water looked up at the Creator and blushed and became wine. I like that, but that may be pushing it too far. I don't know. I liked it. Listen, supernatural, superior. In every way, wine was worth more. It was a higher grain grade. Jesus, let me just cut to the chase. He is better, and he does better. He does all things well. He provides what's better. He gives increasing value. He gives increasing meaning. He gives increasing joy. This is symbolic of the Messianic kingdom back when we were in Isaiah and throughout the Old Testament prophets. When the Messiah come, uh, wine would flow, which would symbolize what? Same thing as milk and honey. Abundance and joy and celebration and peace and security and a better way. The old has gone, the new has come. A better way for purification, that is forgiveness. A better way to worship. He's going to cleanse the temple. Better place to worship. Uh, with the woman at the well. Not in Jerusalem. Or Samaria. But everywhere. And a better birth. A new birth. Not of the flesh. Not of natural. 
but a new birth. An abundant, overfly, overflowing, and unending supply. And here's this. He saved the best for last. All right? He saves the best for last. Uh, every day with Jesus is better and sweeter than the day before. The path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter until the full day. The world does what this head waiter says. The world gives all of its fun and all of its pleasure and all of its joy right at the beginning, but it can't sustain through the seasons of life. What Jesus is and what he provides sustains us in the spring. It sustains us in the summer. He will sustain us in the fall. And even in death, he will sustain us in the winter. He is the wine that never runs out. And in every season, listen, if you know him, if you believe in him, if you trust him, if you follow him, the best is always yet to come in Christ. So last demonstration. He's demonstrating so much here. Who he is, what he's doing and accomplishing, that he's the ultimate groom, that everything that he gives that wine symbolizes is multiplied by infinity in the life of those who believe. Don't miss in verse 1, the third day which for many of us is a reminder of what? The resurrection, the new life, the eternal life, the powerful life that he gives. Don't miss in this sign, the hour. Don't miss in this sign that there is a new creation taking place. Don't miss this sign. He is demonstrating who he is and what he can do in you and me. He can break our ground and make something new and better of all of us if we will respond In verse 11, like the disciples did, this is the beginning of his signs, manifesting his glory. They believed, and they had life. Don't miss the first sign. When I shifted from rec league baseball to high school baseball, from 8th grade to ninth grade, I had a total new awakening as to how serious baseball could be. We brought in this new coach. I'd never played for a coach like this guy. He was adamant that we get the signs. Went over it in practice. What the sign meant, you had to get that. And what you were supposed to do once you got what the sign meant, you had to do that. Very early in the season, I'm at my first at bat. Coach does all this stuff, gives me the sign. To this day, I can't remember if I missed the meaning or missed the activity. Because every sign had an action that had to follow. And I either misinterpreted the sign or misexecuted the sign. Either way, he comes running down the third base line. I'm batting left-handed so I can see him clearly. Skip Reeves is probably the only guy in this room that can relate to this story because he played for the same guy. And the first thought I had at that that moment was, I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to kill me. Not only am I never going to get to bat again, I'm not going to live again. 
I made sure following that moment that I never missed another sign. This is the first sign. According to John, there's enough already in this first sign for you to totally surrender, become his disciple, and believe and have life. And let's take my analogy and just say, based on how he ends this gospel, there are seven other signs that will lead you to believe, but he's already provided enough for life and godliness. And the fear that struck my heart when I missed that sign, I'm dead. If you miss these signs, it's not a joke. It really is spiritual death. You will miss. If you don't understand and apply the sign, you'll miss the wine, the joy, the goodness, the freedom, the forgiveness. It, Everything that we've been talking about every Sunday, the whole time, in all of our classes, in all of our studies, believe and follow. Don't miss the sign. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for each one of us. I have fallen short in explaining all that's in this rich passage. But honestly, Lord, there's enough already. You've given us a sign of creation in what is called general revelation, that you've created the moon, the stars, the world, us. What a gift! <laughs> what grace! But then, beyond the sign of creation, you've given special revelation, specifically the cross, the hour, the third day. John's gospel is incredibly good news. May we respond with faith, and discipleship, and say with Mary, whatever you say to do, Lord, we will do it. Whether we understand it or not, whether we like it or not, we're not going to trust our thoughts, our feelings, but we, we will listen to you and do what you say and experience the old becoming new. New creation, renewed day by day. Thank you for that opportunity, that grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing in Christ alone.
the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from this death. For I am and calls me Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Catherine. As we leave, don't forget, we're still taking the, uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for missions. We'll do that throughout the month of January. Hope you and your family have a great afternoon. Catherine, will you close us, please, with prayer? Just a reminder, we're less than 10 weeks away from Easter. So it's a really good time to join us for choir practice this afternoon at 5, and we'll meet in here. So I hope several of y'all will come and fill our seats up. Let's sing the doxology together this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. Have a great week.